Yeah, and we talked a lot about fiscal sustainability. So it's not just about how you divide the pie. How do you grow the pie? How do you get more resources in the community? How do you get more jobs for people, higher incomes? How do you better support your tax base? These things will make all of these efforts easier going forward, but it, all, it starts with trust. Welcome back to the Public Money Pod, a production of the Center for Municipal Finance at the University of Chicago's Harris School of Public Policy. I'm Liz Farmer. We're going to listen to the second interview that Justin and I recorded live at the Government Finance Officers Association's annual conference in Portland, Oregon last month. We had an opportunity to sit down with two budget officers, one who still is currently the budget officer for the city of Tacoma, Washington, and another who was was the former budget director for the city of Philadelphia and now works in the private sector. The topic was budgeting for equity. The two budget officers participated in a panel on budgeting for equity along with several other other people. The GFOA also introduced a research paper on budgeting for equity and just what exactly that means. And so I want to start off by talking about what what budgeting for equity means to set the stage for this conversation. It is kind of a nebulous topic. Uh, Certainly, equity has come up as 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 an issue in pretty much every facet of our life, but I think that it's probably particularly easiest to to consider when we're talking about health outcomes, um, uh, the digital equity gap, uh, law enforcement, that sort of thing. But in the budget, it's a little less clear how to go about doing that. The budget is typically thought of as a policy document. It's a a city, county, state's document that says what its vision, what its values, what its goals are, and how it's going to go about paying for that. Working equity into that vision is something that a lot of governments are trying to do in, in a myriad ways. But essentially what it means to budget for equity means allocating resources to address unfair disparities between different groups of people, such as racial groups or income groups. A really clear example that I can think of is one that is probably really familiar to our listeners as well. And in a lot of major cities, there is a life expectancy gap or difference between typically the wealthier part of town and the poorer part of town. This gap is uh, usually falls also along racial lines, along income lines, and it can be as much as a decade or more between these two groups. So in other words, you can be bored in the same place, be served by the same government, but because of what your access to opportunities may be, your life expectancy can be dramatically lower. So the question is, how can governments go about trying to do something about that. And that's where the budget comes in, budgeting for different programs, that kind of thing. The research paper that was introduced at the conference talked about a a few kind of principles to consider. Um, A couple of that stood out to me were this idea of symbols versus substance. That can be a little tricky because you need symbols to help people understand what what an abstract concept is. They tend to be bold. It makes people. It helps people get on board with whatever it is you're trying to achieve. But sometimes symbols can only be that, or in other words, they can. It you you can just have lip service to a concept, but then not provide any substance behind it. So symbols need to come with substance as well in order to make a difference in the lives and in, in the members of your community. There's also another 
concept that I found particularly interesting because it's difficult. <laughs> There's um, the con- two kind of conflicting ideas of how do you go about budgeting for equity? Do you tackle the entire budget? You could apply a equity and equity lens across an entire budget, and and many governments do try to do that. But that does risk kind of diluting the effort, and you end up only having kind of a shallow effect, and perhaps it, what you're doing doesn't make a meaningful change in how resources are used. Alternatively, if you focus on one or two areas and really dive in and, and go at it, yes, you can certainly make changes, but is it enough? Do you, do you risk missing opportunities elsewhere? And certainly, as, as we know, the <laughs> government does tend to be siloed, but its impacts are not. What you do in transportation or health spending does have an effect on housing affordability and workforce development. So a lot of these things are intertwined, which also makes this really difficult to consider. How do we budget to, uh, our, for our programming to make sure that everyone is getting the opportunity that they deserve? So it's it's a super tough concept. Um, I really loved the conversation that we had with these two budget officers. I, I just I like hearing stories. I like hearing about direct experience, and it really made me think about how we apply our public money to programs for the betterment of of our cities, counties, and states. So with no further ado, I'll give you that interview. Well, welcome back to the Public Money Pod. We are continuing our episodes recorded live at the GFOA Annual Conference in Portland. Justin Marlowe, Liz Farmers here with me. And we are pleased to have two uh, more great guests joining us. Uh, Katie Johnston, Budget Director for the City of Tacoma, Washington, and uh, also a, f- a former student. Happy to take credit for all of her successes and uh, ignore anything that she may have done wrong in the process. <laughs> And we also have uh, Matthew Stitt, who's coming from PFM. Welcome to both of you. Look forward to the conversation. So we're, gonna t- we're here to t- talk about uh, incorporating equity concerns into budgeting, something that both of you have lots of experience with and something that I know is of considerable interest to all of our listeners. Before we get into that, maybe just tell us kind of how you came to this world of local government budgeting and finance. And we were talking a little bit off pod before this. It sounds like we all have uh, kind of our formative experiences during the Great Recession really informed what we've done during COVID and, and, and subsequent to that. But just tell us a little bit more about that, Katie, starting with you. Uh, how'd you come to what you're doing these days in Tacoma? Um, well, thank you for having me. Um, no, it's just like you mentioned, when I started graduate school, uh, I came with a background in business and economics, and I really thought I was going to pivot in towards environmental policy. Um, and when I started graduate school, it was right in the middle of the Great Recession. And I remember taking classes on what was happening at the time and the impacts to local governments. Um, And as I thought about ways that I could make our uh, cities better places to live and hit some of my environmental sustainability goals, um, I really saw the added need to work in the budgeting area. So trying to become financially sustainable. And for me, budgeting is just a really great place to have that mix of kind of management uh, and decisions around operations and policy and strategy as well as where you're putting financial resources and really how do you fund it over time. So um, so when I started at the city, I started in the city manager's office as a management fellow, which gave me some formative experience working with the executive and the electeds. 
uh, and then I became a budget analyst and uh, worked my way up in our budget office. Um, but I still really love what I do in terms of being able to see the impact at all levels in the organization, direct relationships with community. Uh, one of the things we've really tried to advance that uh, kind of gets that public service uh, part of my heart going is uh, participatory budgeting, um, which is a big initiative that we have and we think really links with our equity and budgeting goals. Um, and I think it's that direct service then combined with getting to work with our executives and city council still on their policy direction. Um, and then in my role and my team's role, we get to work with directors and departments and their operations. So there's kind of all of those hits between community and internal department work and uh, the executive that I, I really enjoy and what I do and I get to see the impact uh, on a regular basis. Yep. Sounds like a great commercial for <laughs> anyone any students out there interested in, in budgeting <laughs> and financing, Katie's give a great example of why it's a great career. Yeah. So, wonderful. Thank you. Matthew. Yeah. Well, thank you, Justin. Thank you, Liz, for, for having me uh, join this podcast. First thing I want to say, the views stress here are, are my own and not of my employer. Um, to date, um, I, I do wear multiple hats in this equity world, and I like to think that it starts with my lived experience growing up in the mm -hmm. city of Philadelphia and growing up with some of those challenges that led me to government work to start. Um, one of the things I've been able to accomplish to date, um, or I'm very proud of that we've been able to accomplish is starting a Center for Budget Equity Innovation at PFM, bringing some of these lived experiences, not only um, just lived, but also experiences learned in government and try to bring these best emerging practices in a challenging equity world to other governments. Mm -hmm. um, I. Uh, by way of background, I was the youngest CFO appointed at City Council of Philadelphia, at least on record. And that was, um, that was in 2016. Mm -hmm. I was 28 years old. But uh, I also had started as an analyst, though, at City Council of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And um, by getting there, um, I actually went to Fells. And a professor there um, taught me treasury consulting. She kind of plucked me. Um, I was working for Independence Blue Cross at the time to join her on a journey at city council to help build a budgeting team. And um, we had a lots of successes in doing that um, and really helping uh, the city, city council and the mayor, you know, really get to the best budgets possible to support the city. Um, and through that, um, my first year as CFO to my last year as CFO, um, which was 2020, was the pandemic year. And um, there was just, you know, there were so many challenges that governments had to overcome uh, during a pandemic. And, um, you know, one of the things that we really wanted to do is those successes that we did find um, through um, getting through some of those challenges as a city, especially working together across the aisle, which was really incredibly important during that time. Um, really wanting to bring that to other governments across the country, knowing that these challenges that were borne by the pandemic are going to continue for some time. And I think, I think our panel earlier was reflective of that and how these new priorities are being set by communities, but how are governments going to continue to change their processes, their structures, not only engage with communities internally, externally, to get on the same page, to enter this journey collectively to try to reach these new outcomes that are literally being developed in real time. Because everything got topsy-turvy-ish uh, in 2020. <laughs> Uh, can you tell us about one of those, you know, an example of uh, one of the, what you learned in Philadelphia at the beginning of the pandemic, what you had to manage through, and what you're trying to, the story you're trying to tell now? 
Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that a lot of governments had to do very quickly during the pandemic was obviously respond to the public health crisis, right? Make sure you keep in communities safe. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, it's hard to put a cost to keeping people alive and safe. Um, so that was the primary focus to start. Um, and those are, I consider, I consider those like mandated costs. You gotta, gotta provide those. Um, I think the second thing though was how are you gonna engage in the government was a very big question. Um, you still had requirements for public hearings. You still have requirements to pass budgets on time. And how are you gonna do this in a hybrid environment or a virtual environment? Uh, lots of governments were set up to be in person. So um, making that switch virtual um, was certainly challenging, you know, but the city, we were very successful in doing that and meeting all of our deadlines. And frankly, uh, the city of Philadelphia just had a recent credit upgrade. Um, so, you know, I think some of those things of proactively trying to get ahead of how we're going to not only continue to be in compliance um, with passing our budget, balanced budget requirement in a very uh, unpredictable or less predictable time, um, but also engaging with the community because it's really important. You know, uh, the challenges that the community was now facing have now been exacerbated. Yeah. And if we're switching to a virtual platform, how can we continue to get that feedback on what the government is doing and making sure it's continually be molded um, and refined to hit the community's priorities, which, again, are shifting in real time? Well, and I was just going to build on that and some of Tacoma's experience during the pandemic that I think is really interesting about what you brought up was um, there were the initial actions that we had to take in terms of for us when we started noticing that we're going to have businesses shut down for an extended period of time. All of our tax revenues are delayed, of course, in terms of when we get them. So we knew we were going to start seeing impacts in the coming months. And so um, our city was has been really focused on financial sustainability, and I do think financial sustainability is an important equity consideration. So if we think about like at the very base level, being able to continue our services, um, and we talk about it as we don't want the economy to make it a decision for us. We want to be proactive enough that we can make the decisions before having to respond to an emergency and crisis situation. Um, so kind of when we started noticing uh, the closures and we wanted to reproject our uh, revenues, we started making quick financial decisions for those like immediate impacts in 2020. Um, and, and that was really focused on just we want to keep the base operations going. So anything that's uh, really not in use right now, we're going to pull back from. Um, however, to your point, one of the things we had to shift towards is in 2020, we also were required to start building our biennial budget for 21-22. So at the same time, we literally went through two budget processes where we're cutting our existing budget, re-kind uh, of balancing all of our services, and doing community outreach on what we were projecting for a budget gap in the next two years at the same time. Um, and so you kind of got to see firsthand uh, the budget as this like policy operational and financial document. In 2020, we're just really, it's all the financials pulling back on the expenses as much as possible. But then when we did community engagement that summer, you really saw policy shifts in the engagement that we were hearing. We heard a lot about police and what policing looked like in our community as we did budget engagement. All of that focused on that policy and operational perspective as we're trying to also address the financial projections we had. So that was a really interesting time to think about the uh, new tools that we were leveraging. We did online meetings. We did... Um, online balancing acts, you know, uh, different tools to try to get that feedback. Um, 
and experience kind of what that was like to deal with all of these uh, compounding pressures at the same time. You feel like the, the pressure to kind of seek out every single possible avenue of engagement made, made the, uh, res- the feedback that you got more representative of the community? We definitely saw that um, during the pandemic that people engaged, but I think it might be two different reasons. So we just went through our budget engagement for our 23-24 budget process. Um, And to your point, we tried to use a lot of those same tools. We offered online sessions, we did our balancing act, um, but I think that the the pressure just wasn't there at the same level from our community. I don't wanna say that there uh, there was definitely interest people didn't show up at the same levels. And and one of the things we speculated with as well is during 2020, if you think about things you had to do, I think engagement was something that people did. Uh, and then when we look at 2022, in 2022, there were summer events and parties and barbecues. And so I, I do think that we saw just almost a return to people engaging in a different way. Um, and that's where I think um, when we think kind of more long-term in terms of like, responding to the crisis versus like long-term engagement around budget and trust building. Um, At the city of Tacoma, we dedicated $5 million of our ARPA funds towards participatory budgeting projects. Um, And I see that as really being more of a shift to engaging and empowering our communities uh, to really decide how to spend a million dollars in each of the city's neighborhoods. Um, I think that's where people want to engage uh, and really get hands-on and active in our budgeting. Um, I see less engagement. It tends to be more around policy issues or if there's a major crisis. Um, people want to see those like specific items and they'll show up for those specific issues that matter. But on budget broadly, unless something's really there, I, I think, I don't want to say like lower participation is a good sign, but I, I think in some ways it was a sign of almost returning to more a normal financial status for us. Yeah, I think I think that's great perspective. And, um, you know, one of the things that we talked about earlier too, the fiscal sustainability, I think it's a great, great point. So when a pandemic first happened, um, you know, focus, being, having a focus on maintaining core essential services and then, uh, but really, almost applying an equity lens to that to make sure that the most vulnerable was still accessing those services during the pandemic was a huge focus to start mm-hmm. and making sure that, that there's money going to be there not only this year, but next year as well. Um, one of the things, and, and as time has, by the way, lots of different cities, um, their revenue structures are different. Their tax structures are different. They were all kind of disrupted in 2020 because the way that we work and live was disrupted. So I think Katie just spoke to, you know, the revenue projections were, uh, shall we say, a little bit wacky or a little bit in the abyss. Um, So it's like, how do you uh, continue to fund these programs? Uh, But you got to rebuild trust with your communities. Mm -hmm. And one of the things to at least to distrust is when you fund things and then you take it away. So that was a great that was a big focus, Uh, looking at revenue structures, tax structures, what are the leading indicators? What is our main revenue source? So like for the city of Philadelphia, they have a wage tax. Some of their uh, revenue hits might have hit sooner. Other cities might rely more on property taxes. Might, might be a little bit of a lag. But trying to get ahead of those things to create fiscal sustainability while applying these equity lens to the services you're providing. Um, because trust was a big thing that I think got disrupted even more in 2020. 
And it's how do you build these incremental wins with programming and services provided to rebuild that trust, to further engage your community so that when you're resetting these outcomes or refining them, I should say, that they are actually being refined to the people that are being served by the government. We've kind of hinted at it a little bit. I'm kind of curious now when uh, we talk about bringing an equity lens to budgeting, how are you both defining equity in your respective work in those spaces? We've, we've talked a little bit about geography. We've talked a little bit about sustainability. We've talked about pieces of it. It's kind of curious if you could just be, you know, tell us when you, when you define it for the purpose of shifting budgeting toward it, what are we talking about when we say equity? So for the city of Tacoma, we define equity as when everyone has access to the same opportunities necessi necessary to satisfy their essential needs and advance their well-being to achieve their full potential. And I say that, and I kind of like structure that very specifically is because we also have a tool called our equity index. So um, our strategic plan in many ways is based around their essential, the essential needs in our community, what is going to most advance people's well-being. Um, and so we took these long-term outcome indicators and then mapped them across our community. Um, and what it allows you to do is you can see the disparities in our community where certain neighborhoods perform lower on the index as opposed to others. So in addition to having uh, the definition that can help guide some of our um, structures of our programs and our analysis and where we're trying to focus, we also have this really great mapping tool that starts to look at truly like the long-term outcomes. Um, and when we think about investing resources into like nearer term like uh, outputs or just uh, you know, services that we're providing to the community, we can see if we're targeting it in places where we might be able to have an impact on these long-term uh, disparities and outcome. Um, and of course, when you look at that, it's highly correlated with redlining and race um, directly. And so, um, so I, that's one of been one of the tools that I think has been really helpful to both like operationalize um, decision making for equity, especially when we think about capital-centric departments. Um, as well as the fact that it allows us to really give both a visual and then specific data around what we mean when we talk about access to opportunity or well-being or potential. Um, and so that's been helpful for both of those reasons. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> again, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Katie, Tacoma. But um, defining equity is tough. And it might be one of the toughest things that a government can do, given all the size of government, uh, the workforce internally, um, different perspectives, different opinions, and then also you need external stakeholders too, right? You have your leadership, your community members. Everybody's going to look at that. Everybody's going to look at that definition. Um, <clears throat> switching hats for a second. You know, I think the way that uh, we approach uh, helping governments define equity is meeting them where they're at mm -hmm. and walking them through a process where they define it for themselves. And then it, there, there needs to be collective buy-in. And I think Katie said it, you need an operational definition to build structure and processes around. Um, everybody might, might not agree with that definition if you ask them one-on-one -on, -one on surveys. But if there's collective buy-in, which has to be built over time, um, it's big change management effort. Um, once you have that definition, you can start to operationalize things around it. And I think that's the case. So getting to that definition is a whole change process in itself. Um, every region's different. You know, if you look at definitions of equity across governments, some people will put race in, some won't. Mm -hmm. uh, some people have broad, vague definitions. Some are very specific. 
we actually fo focus on budgeting for equity and what does that mean? So once you get to your definition of equity, now how, what does budgeting for equity mean? Yeah. How are you going to then drive that definition to resource allocation decisions? How are you gonna have extra data points that are uh, key data points to help inform these decision makers across the whole budget call pipeline mm -hmm. to the proposal stage, to the consideration stage and the passing stage? What data are they looking at? How are you measuring progress? I think mapping is a great tool that a lot of governments are starting to use to show where spending occurred in the past. <clears throat> yeah. Was there inequity in spending in certain communities? Can we use data to show that and maybe start to make uh, better informed decisions around capital project prioritization mm -hmm. or funding or our funding formulas that um, have led to, you know, not even consciously or intentionally trying to have uneven uh, funding going across, you know, your, your jurisdiction. But, you know, can you, if it was unintentional, done by a formula, does the formula need to change? And we right. talk about a lot of that with education funding formulas and things of that sort. So I think that um, this whole effort is really not only re-looking at how to drive equity in, but it's also making governments think about how they do their work smarter, more efficiently, and like really direct those resources to their communities who are frankly in most need or might not have been um, as uh, uh, much of a priority prior to 2020. And it's not always, it wasn't always an intentional thing that governments did to sometimes lead to that. But it is a structural thing that I think a lot of governments and a lot of us in society have realized when 2020 hit that certain structures were just not working for large populations um, in this country. I just wrote about education uh funding proposals uh, for one of my Route 50 newsletters and that like education finance is like one of the most mind-boggling things when it comes to trying to get this you know the magic formula and so California is one state I think that maybe has sort of come close or they're they're maybe closer than other places because of their local control funding formula which directs more money to schools that um, in higher poverty areas, it tries to tries to match, tries to do something about that real estate imbalance that you have. But to your point about everything being so darn complicated, it's this year that funding control formula is great, it's wonderful. But black students in this public school system still are continuously underperforming, and so there's this effort to get more money directed specifically to schools with with more black kids. And it didn't, it didn't pass, maybe it will next year, but the point being that, um, that's, that that's a performance measure. It's not like poverty, it's not you know, whatever it is, but there's so many different ways to talk about equity and, to, and you're mapping. So I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more maybe about like what, what are you looking at when you're trying to crack this code? Well, and, and I think one of the things that I was thinking of um, when you were talking about this is that our services are, they understand who benefits from their services in very different ways. So like one of the things that we are very conscious of when we do equity and budgeting is we're trying to set up consistent tools to create an equal playing field across our departments and frameworks that they can use depending on how far they are in understanding their services. And like, for example, some of our services do use formulas to determine where they need to invest next, but not all of our services are that advanced where they actually have performance metrics or uh, or even investment plans that they could really target in that way. 
Um, and so I think that one of the, the key pieces is that while we're applying the same tools, we understand that they're going to be used in different ways. Um, and I think for some of our departments, honestly, just even having the conversation about who benefits from your service. Do you know? Do you really know who's like directly benefiting from the service area is where we need to start the conversation before we can even then say, so do you know about who benefits on a geographical basis or do you actually then, do you serve directly a person? And if you serve a person, what data do you have about the people who are benefiting from your services or the gaps that exist in the area that you're providing services? Um, so at the city, the equity index is really, it's about, it's key um, indicators related to opportunity or success. So the Kirwan Institute is the one who helped form uh, the equity index for it. And then we adjusted it to match our strategic planning efforts. So it has things like uh, educational attainment and uh, life expectancy and voting participation and 20-minute walking neighborhoods. So um, there's many different indicators that go into forming it. And one of the really great parts about it is you can kind of like also pick and choose the indicators. So um, for something like streetlights, they had a, uh, a formula that they used to determine where we needed to put in new streetlights that was based on accidents and crime and all of these different indicators. And then they added in uh, the equity index as another piece of a formula that they could wait to determine um, how to prioritize the investments. Not that eventually we're not going to get to all the gaps. We need to get to all the gaps. But with limited resources, where, where are we starting uh, those investments as we chip away uh, at the need in the areas where they didn't have very good lighting um, and access? Um, but one of the things that they can also do in that index is they can pull out things like traffic accidents uh, and pedestrian and bike fatalities are in that data set. So, uh, so is that a walkability indicator. So it's a little bit adjustable where you can think about, do I, do I want to think about health? in this case? Do I want to think about these other indicators or am I just focused on the score broadly um, as how I'm adding it to my formula? So there's people in our community are using it for different, in a slightly different ways, uh, depending on really the benefit that they're trying to track and, uh, and change and improve. And another, another point I wanted to bring up is that I don't think local governments, uh, local governments take on a lot. Um, but they can't do everything themselves either. So, you know, I think Katie brings up great points of where to focus. Um, and then, you know, it's not, it's best use of resources now to achieve these goals, but not forgetting about some of these other goals that we might not be able to hit right now yeah. at the same time. Keeping things in focus. Again, it took hundreds of years to get to where we're at now. It's probably going to take some time to, you know, figure it out a little bit better. Um, one of the other things that I think, um, governments and local governments are starting to lean into, um, like City of Peoria, um, for an example, they started using mapping and they started, I, I would say, maybe simple. Starting simple can be good, pilot things. Visuals can go very far with decision makers. Not everybody likes to look at spreadsheets and budget line items yeah. and budgets <laughs> and know how to, you know, met. what does this mean in terms of where this money is being spent? Um, they started with an exercise of mapping where spending had occurred. And it had a simple goal. We want to spend 50% of our capital funds in a qualified census tract over the next five years. I think they hit that goal in year two. In and year it, two? <laughs> I think they hit it in year two. Now, Peoria is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, 
it's a community that um, you know might not be as big as like the city of Philadelphia, but it's still a it's a pretty decently sized community, and um, you know so now they you know they're showing and they're literally mapping what capital spending is occurring in a qualified census tract, and they're pre-mapping that before they select the projects each year. So it's it's almost like it helps with the project prioritization process for them. Um, then they're able to track it on the back end. Okay, did the spending occur? Where are we at? Did we hit 50%? Maybe there's a new goal that emerges. Uh, maybe you can get down uh, to a more granular level than just the qualified census tract. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're starting to um, attack the elephant chunks at a time, but starting to, uh, with transparency, uh, reporting, having data metrics, if you're not measuring impact, it's going to be really hard to show what's working, what's not. And that's going to make it even harder for decision makers to allocate or rebalance those resources over time to make sure that they're best using and maximizing the resources to try to hit these goals. So one of the things that uh, Matthew brought up that I, I do want to just talk about is like when we talked about uh, investing in equity, one of the things that gets brought up is basically every time people ask for where are resources being spent in our community, and it seems like such an easy question and it's so hard and we really do not keep our data in such a way. And and I also, as I mentioned earlier, not all of our data or our services are really geospatially based. Some of our services are, are not designed to kind of be targeted towards a block where I can say this, you know, this census track is getting this amount of service for this much money. Um, and, and I think that the challenge with that is both the data, you know, and a question of like, how are we uh, delivering those services and who benefits? Um, but then there's also some very like fundamental questions where for me, I've tried to redirect the conversation back to our operational planning and our operational spending because um, a lot of times we focus on what the new program is that we need to add for equity. Um, in our community, we, we would not be able to fund doing new things to advance equity. That's not really the option that we have available to us. Um, and so when we look at tools and budgeting, um, one of the key tools for us really was moving into a program-based budget where we could actually say these services cost this amount of money. Um, and then it helps us be able to ask, and how are they helping us advance our equity goals? Do we know if that is helping us advance our equity goals? Um, you know, is it like we have the data, we can prove it, or we just really don't know how it's helping us advance in this area. And so some of that work around um, what we call our baseline budget, you know, those continuing services, biennium over biennium, is where we've tried to like almost switch the conversation with our departments and um, our community is to say, how are we using those to advance equity, not just the new capital projects or not just um, kind of these, you know, add-on services that we might be thinking about, in part because when I look at our budget, we may be able to add 2% or 3% in a biennium through careful savings of our resources that are one-time in, in nature, um, but the change is going to take re-looking at those ongoing services that represent the 98% of the budget that's continuing. And so I think that that's also a conversation that you have to have with people where you're able to build trust because it's not about passing the buck off or trying to avoid a tough conversation, it's actually almost just acknowledging we have to have a very hard conversation because it has to be about those everyday services we provide and who benefits from them and how are they distributed and what really is the, the value add to our community of those services. 
Katie, you bring up great points. It's a culture shift. It's yeah, a culture mm -hmm. shift. And so anytime you're changing the culture inside any organization, obviously the larger the organization is going to take time. You need to identify your champions who are going to help with that. Um, there can be champions in many different departments who've been around for a while, kind of understand the lay of the land, understand the history. Also try to want to identify your detractors too. And and figure out who, you know, who doesn't who wants to blow this up for lack of a better word, right? But one of the cons one of the things that we talked about earlier that I think was really important when it comes to um, entering this type of work, because lots of governments are starting to enter this type of work, is um, that change management aspect and um, showing those quick wins, having your champions elevate that work, um, helping uh, calm the job security fears, which sometimes come out when you're asking people to do things differently, track things differently, and then frankly, be more accountable to progress. Um, getting governments ready and willing to do this type of work, again, that, that, sorry, I'm the definition of equity, and then infusing it in, but it is really, really important that the employees who are gonna do this work know that, the, frankly, the employer has their back. Because yeah. you need to start measuring things to see if they're working or not. That's the only way you're going to be able to make smarter resource allocation decisions. I mean, along those lines, one, I'm kind of curious. I mean, we've been talking a lot about how, in many cases, we're talking about spending more on things that we've spent maybe not as much on in the past. And clearly, as you pointed out, there's some variation in that, for lack of a better word, theory of change between how more spending is going to affect whatever outcome it is that, that we're trying to, to, uh, to change. Have you had any instances in this work where you're spending less or doing something differently that leads to less spending, you know, is that an outcome or is that a strategy that kind of falls under the, the purview of budgeting for equity? Uh, or are we still mostly focused on reallocating where we're spending or spending more in certain areas? I can see how it could be a bit of a double-edged sword, depending on how that unfolds. I think, uh, so when we went through the pandemic and we had to pull back funding to a lot of projects in the city of Tacoma, um, we we did do, in 2020, it was hard to do a lot of long-range planning um, just because of everything going on. Um, but I think then, especially as we were building the 23-24 budget, we were still facing a structural deficit in our community where we were still having to look at places that we made cuts to services or that we... We needed to pull back from we had we had made a lot of like what we called one-time cuts in 2020 because we didn't want to um we didn't want to pull back in the long run if it was something that we could invest in in the future depending on if our revenues came back um, but i also think those one-time reductions allowed us to really think like is this a service that should come back or not um i'll i'll also say that in the world of uh, city governments and services, it is so hard to stop doing things. Like there's a part of me that loves the academic exercise of like, hey, these services are not um, performing as well. More often we get into the place of how do we make them better than than saying we should stop doing it. Um, and it's a, it's a real struggle, especially because local governments, I think, are asked more and more to fill in the gaps of services um, from honestly federal and state level governments. Um, and, and so then we have a lot of pressure to keep expanding services beyond our core mission. Um, and then that, that financial strain means that it's straining our ability to have equitable outcomes in our community as well. Um, I think the, the uh, 
as we more and more have to stretch into meeting basic needs around like shelter and food and uh, some of these basic service areas and mental health um, that what that means is like we have a harder time redirecting resources to areas where infrastructure development where maybe we never invested in sidewalk curb and gutter in whole sections of our city and we need to make those investments but now we're in a place of we need to also think of um, the hierarchy of needs and, and meeting these basic needs in our community that if we're not meeting them, it, it feels like they will go unmet. And so I think there's that strain of trying to meet truly these frontline service needs in our community, and then the pressure that saying no is very hard or pulling back on services. I often find that for us to be successful, there has to be an extraordinary circumstance that means the service stopped for some period of time, or we have to have worked on it for literally a year or two to like pull back funding and pull back funding. Uh, to stop doing a service area. No, I think that's a great example. And just to offer another, another perspective, um, I think that uh, a lot of budgeting for equity is performance-based. And so when you're going through this, again, trying to look at data and make these more intelligent decisions with data points, it starts to pull out efficiencies or duplicative mm -hmm. processes that are working across uh, governments. And that can lead to cost efficiencies with core service delivery which then we like to call it the equity offset. You don't have a direct service that is directly interacts with the community. Sometimes the department just doing its service or performing its service at a more cost efficient way will allow for resources to be freed up for other areas in the government that have more of that direct equity play. So that's, um, you know, everybody can have a role in budgeting for equity. You know, it's, it's like a team. It's uh, we have one us. We're budget people. Right. We think of even though budgets are always moving, you have to you kind of reset, set it and reset it. So when you're setting it at that time, it's finite. It will move. It will adjust literally minutes after you pass it. <laughs> but at that time, you have to make certain decisions. Right. And that's where I think a lot of people have great intentions. Like, well, we don't know what to do every year. Just deliver that service at the same quality, at a cheaper cost. And now you are actually contributing mightily to this effort of driving more equity into our government because you are saving resources for us that then Katie can then rebalance somewhere else you know, to push that priority in another area in the government. That's a good message and very true. Anything, uh, anything we didn't ask that, that we should or anything else that needs to be brought up? No, I, I mean, I think that one of the interesting things is, is we just did a session this morning and so much of the discussion was around uh, internal processes to advance equity. So it was just like, I love that today we focused a lot on like community expectation and uh, some of those components. Um, one of the things that I will just note is that I, I think it's a both and. Like we talked a lot about um, building trust externally, which I, I think is really key following through on things. Uh, who's engaging and why they're engaging, how are you making those long-term uh, investments in your relationships and community are going to be key to equity and budgeting because if you only do it on the internal side, no matter all the scoring and the redirecting of resources you can do, you're not going to build those community trust components that are really not just about the outcomes, it is also about building trust and restoring relationships. Uh, restoring assumes that they were there to start. So building um, relationships as well um, with community. Um, 
But I also do want to say that we have to acknowledge that internal work that has to be done because we work for large bureaucracies and those organizations take a long time to train and steer and we've been working on performance management and government for decades and uh, it's still an area that needs improvement and so this will just be a place where we need to continue to make progress and improve um, and I you know believe in incremental change and so I think it's just going to uh, take time and effort but I do think it's building on past changes that we've tried to see in government reform and transformational efforts. Yeah, and we talked a lot about fiscal sustainability. So it's not just about how you divide the pie. How do you grow the pie? How do you get more resources in the community? How do you get more jobs for people, higher incomes? How do you better support your tax base? These things will make all of these efforts easier going forward, but it, all, it starts with trust. And we also believe you really have to uh, drive equity into your organization in order to really drive it out because everybody's an actor too. Mm -hmm. And you have different representatives inside large bureaucracies that are representing your employer every day, all the time. And the more um, that they're on that same page, the more that they're also interacting. Lots of uh, government workers live within the communities that they serve. Um, it will create not just a culture inside the government, but a culture in the community of bringing people back together. And I think the whole goal for local governments particularly is to grow that pie because the resources are, they're never enough, right? But if you can find ways to uh, support your tax base more organically, more own source revenues, um, that's a win-win on both sides. You know, you'll, you'll see the impact externally and it'll be less burden. And now you have more resources to also attack these challenges. But I think that's the goal. Well, I've, I was about to ask a whole series of questions about cost allocation methods, but we'll hold off on that because these internal processes are not nearly as interesting as the, as the external. Well, my goodness, uh, it's been, this has been a good one. Thank you so much, Katie Johnson from the City of Tacoma, Professor Matthew Stitt from PFM. Appreciate you taking the time to join us here at GFOA. And, uh, I, I failed to mention at the beginning of this, of course, we are sponsored by GFOA. We're also probably sponsored by Build America Mutual, uh, both of whom are here at the conference. Another great session, another great conversation here at GFOA. And uh, thank you all again for taking the time, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>